If you ever stopped at a railway crossing and the signals are flashing and you don't see the train or it looks like it's moving slow and you're thinking, maybe you could get across the track before the train comes. Think about this. In 2018 alone, 270 people were killed at railroad crossings. 270. Stop. Trains can't. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, bud? I'm doing okay. Rattled by the news that Telvin Smith, the very good young Jaguars linebacker, not playing in 2019. Uh seems to be taking a year off to get his his world in order as he says uh wish him all the best but certainly shocking news in the nfl on on may 9th yeah it was very surprising not much going on on may 9th uh this affects our show in part because we're gonna do a bunch of moves kind of dream moves that could be remaining for teams this offseason trades they should make kind of the last few remaining ways they can fill some holes on their rosters and Telvin Smith was going to be one of your trades so we've had to do a little bit of improvising on the move here. There were trade rumors the Jaguars had not signed to an extension yet he was going he was in line to make some money um he, he had sort of an off 2018 but but I you know I think I read a couple months ago that, that PFF had him as one of their breakout candidates for 2019 and I start to think that you know it, it reminds me a little bit of the Jason World situation four years ago. Jason Worlds never came back to football, but he was a guy who was in line for money and just decided he needed to get his, his world in order, um, and to use Telvin Smith's phrase, and he never came back. Um, so uh, it's really interesting. Um, we wish all of Smith the best and, and, and hope he's back in 2020. So we're going to get into some of those fake trades. We're going to start, though, by kind of talking about the way to think about the offseason. You wrote about this a few years ago. I wrote about it in a slightly different way, which was using all of the rumors and kind of pumped up commentary about each everything is fake everything is fake if you've lived through five years of ryan Tannehill is about to break out it's all ryan Tannehill. you know part it's not going to happen marcus mariota it's funny it's very funny to me that ryan Tannehill and marcus mariota are on the same team because they get the same he's ready to break out articles written about them every single offseason yeah, you wrote about all of the rumors, not rumors necessarily, but all of the, the observations. Tropes. That, the tropes. Yeah, the, the, the tropes, but even specific to Ryan Tannehill, the observations his teammates made about his leadership. His leadership is uh, ready to when go. When I wrote the fake thing, I think it was for Grantland. It was, it was years and years ago. It was all Ryan Tannehill. So Ryan Tannehill is always the guy. It's always based on Ryan Tannehill. Chris Ryan had the idea and unfortunately missed our window probably I'm sure you remember this. You were in the room when he pitched it. That we do a fake Ken Burns documentary on just all of the legendary <laughs> stories of Ryan Tannehill's off-season off leadership. Tannehill. His leadership ends on September 1st every year. So let's get into some of these. Where I felt it was kind of appropriate to start is with something that happened very recently. And it's something we see every year. You saw that clip of Aaron Rodgers talking about the new plays oh, and the new oh, offense. yeah. And how Aaron Rodgers is smart enough to understand this and everyone else should be too. When you're watching the teach tape of a new offense, all it is is the best plays. So when you're thinking about the Packers' new offense, it's that McVay-Shanahan outside zone play action system. So the plays you're going to be watching are like Julio Jones' 80-yard touchdowns right. and like strikes to Brandon Cooks from last year. Like that's the stuff that you're going to be doing. So yeah, every offense looks beautiful when you're teaching it to people because it's all the times the plays worked. But nothing is ever as good as it seems. And it's I think an that offensive, is the most important thing to remember. It's an offensive sizzle reel. 
That's exactly right. I mean, it's the perfect way to do all of this stuff. They call them teach tapes. I mean, that's literally what they are. And it's every single ideal version of the plays. So like everything this time of year, nothing about that is ever as good as it seems. What are some of your other favorite tropes or conversations or things to avoid in your mind? Let's let's go strictly with the... The, the the tape, okay? Because I think that's a really funny off-season trope because I remember this happened to Matthew Stafford where, oh, he's going on vacation, but he's bringing his iPad. He brought his iPad <laughs> on vacation. And I, one of the things that I think... Uh, it's just loaded with Netflix it's just shows. loaded, yeah. It's Ozark season two. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of think it's, it's, it's very funny to me when we get into the off season, it's, oh, this person is doing this and they used to not do this. Because the other way to look at it is they went on vacation or their honeymoon or whatever and didn't bring film before, which is, this is an extremely hard league to play in. Extremely hard. You know, the stories about Peyton Manning, a lot of times, and Robert, I'm sure you've had this before, you hear a story you you think makes the player you're profiling or talking about sound like a complete lunatic. And then you share it with somebody else and they can name five other players who did that. You know what I mean? Exactly. I, I think I think Peyton Manning, those stories are legendary. Oh, he's looking at film in the hot tub. Well, so was Philip Rivers. Uh, so was Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer's doing VR. Fine. So was probably Ryan Tannehill, for God's sakes. Yeah, I think Jameis Winston does. Um, and so I think that stories about work ethic in the offseason are always overrated, especially when it comes to tape. Everybody's looking at tape, dude. Everybody, this is a hard league. You're not in the NFL unless you're looking at tape. And so I think that the so-and-so is looking at tape trope is is, uh, extremely overrated, especially this time of year. Especially for quarterbacks, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just the positional norm. There's some guys who go above and beyond. I remember Eric Weddle told me a story once about Rivers, where just on the team plane on the way home, he's already just queuing up the next yeah, week's games. Yeah, but that's, but that's, that's all everybody. The yeah, I mean, yes. like, that's every, that is the eighth paragraph in every single story about a quarterback. It's, oh, <laughs> <Yes>. man, <laughs> I'm looking at third downs. I'm looking at third downs right now. I mean, I heard the story. I remember this blew my mind that Peyton Manning was looking at the 01 Kurt Warner um, Super Bowl, the Kurt Warner Patriots Super Bowl before the AFC Championship game against Patriots because he was worried that they were going to do some of those same pressures and stuff like that. And then the more you're around, the more you realize this always happens. A lot of quarterbacks do this. There are 32 of these jobs. 10 of these guys are good. There's a reason that they have separated themselves. And a lot of times if someone is, and this goes for being in the best shape of your life too, if the story now is you're doing something, it was really bad that you weren't doing it before. Yes. So, okay. A few of the things that you should pay attention to, though, which I think is important to know. Mm-hmm. I think that you wrote about this when you did uh, the reps matter. You know, if a guy is working out, uh, a guy is working out with the first team, if he's taking reps with the first team, that stuff matters. It's because those reps are very important and there aren't a lot of them to go around. I also think that one thing to do is follow the resources. You know, Steve Kime came out the other day and said we didn't draft Kyler Murray number well, one. I, I want to touch bench. on that. I want to touch on that because I'm so happy they didn't do the fake starter. I'm yeah, so I totally happy agree. because 99% of these first round picks over the past 10 years, they've there's been a McCown or something or a McCown-esque player who's been signed to be the starter and then they're gone by or Matt Castle sometimes. And then they're gone, you know, they're completely out of the picture by October 10th. So when a guy gets paid in free agency, he's going to play. He's going to play. Those guys, it's so your draft position and your contract matter in as much as you get more chances to fail. 
And that matters when it comes to figuring out how reps are going to get split up and who's going to win roster battles. Right. And and it comes back to, I don't know if I mentioned this in the piece I wrote three years ago, but the first team I ever covered was about 10 years ago and I was in college as the Dolphins. And there was this guy, Kerry Reed, who was just crushing it in training camp. And I thought he was going to make the team. And he was had great chemistry with John Beck, who was incredibly hyped up at that point. And two things happened. Number one, it, number one, it turns out that uh, both those players sucked, and so their chemistry didn't matter. But also, I mean, the Kerry Reed was caught in... First of all, he, he, I think he caught on with the CFL eventually, but he got caught in the numbers game, and you're not going to win a numbers game against Ted Ginn, who was a first-round pick. You're not going to win a numbers game against guys like Marty Booker, who still have money on their contract and eventually got got money, uh, got 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 value in a trade. Um, there's just so many things you're up against when you're an undrafted free agent, and that's why I'm sort of, and this is another thing I want to bring up, I'm sort of against all undrafted free agent hype. Und- oh yeah, I mean, I, like I understand how many undrafted free agents have made it. But what I'm saying is they face such an uphill battle that I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, Remember the Jeff Janis hive a couple years ago? He was a seventh round Well, at round least pick, he made a team. I mean, Yeah, I, that's true. I, the one that sticks out to me actually is Devon Bess, who when he signed, everybody was like, this guy's really good. And I kind of shorted it. And I was like, I don't think this is, this is an undrafted for age. And he ended up having um, at least a few decent years. Yeah, um, he played. And I, 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 I think that 95% of the time, there's a reason these guys went undrafted. And I understand you, you start to understand and training camp and again they are up against it they're going up against draft picks gms don't know what don't want to admit they're wrong they're going up against guys who have money left on their contract undrafted free agent hype is some of the biggest fool's gold you can possibly find in the nfl that's like the bears signed emmanuel hall who everyone thought was gonna be like a fourth round pick right and fell for personal reasons or the personality reasons and he's in a room with riley reed taylor gabriel alan robinson you know it's there's so many guys anthony miller that were high draft picks or free agents it doesn't matter what we thought of that guy, there's a good chance he doesn't even make the team, let alone have any sort of impact down the road. Again, where you're drafted and how much you get paid absolutely matters. Where you're drafted, I mean, I don't even think we talk enough about that. You know, when I was doing some of the draft analysis, talked to some of the analytic guys, both in the league and outside the league, this is something we already knew, but, you know, part of quantifying how successful draft picks are, um, the problem with it is that First round picks get so many freaking opportunities. They get because everybody doesn't want to admit they're wrong. And so they will get more chances to succeed. And so it's almost impossible to even compare a first round pick with a fifth round pick because of how many opportunities the first round pick will get to prove themselves over the over the five years of their deal. I remember when Michael Bennett signed that really tiny deal with the Seahawks. It was like a I can't remember yeah. what the deal was. It was like two years, ten million. Him or and Averill on the same day, right? The same day. One year, four point eight. Yeah. And it was crazy. It was on the same day. And I remember at, talking Pretty to him good about day. that that season. I remember where I was when I saw that, which is crazy. What? Like that's how. Yeah, I was. It, it was. It's a silly thing. I was just in my car. Dry, I was like just like ready to leave the gym. And you, you had to. Like, pu- you had to pull over. I, I was like. I was like shocked. I was like. I can't believe that just happened. But I talked to him about it that season when he was crushing it, not uh-huh. surprisingly, because I loved watching him in Tampa. He was just a guy that flew off the screen. No, of course. And Tampa hadn't had a pass rusher in forever. So I'm like, what the fuck are these guys doing? And he, his theory, and he had a shoulder issue, but his mm-hmm. main theory is I was undrafted. And that follows you for your entire career. Yeah. You know how many 
first round flame out offensive linemen have gotten second and third chances because they were first round picks. It's crazy. Eric Flowers. Yes. <laughs> if you're a top 10 pick, you're going to get a lot of chances to fail. Isn't his contract up to $4.5 million this year? Something like that. Just, I mean, I know, I know that he won't kids. make that much, but it's just, it's unbelievable. It's one year, 3.25. And there, I think there are escalators in it that can bring it up. Escalator escalators if he if he ever appears on a for a snap. If he touches someone on his their way to the quarterback, he gets five hundred thousand dollars. Well then he'd be it might be a valuable player. That's true, but it's just for one play. Every play he does it, he gets five hundred thousand dollars. He gets a million, yeah, he gets a million dollars every time he blocks somebody. All right. Let's get into our He'll fake trade. Two million dollars this year. I think the reason we wanted to do this fake, is because fake trades are fake signings. Uh, fake trades or fake signings, fake moves. It doesn't matter. What I, whatever the moves are, these are some dream moves that can continue to happen. Sure. And while this is fun, and that is the number one purpose of this exercise, mm-hmm. the second purpose is, I think the most important thing to remember about what happens from May to September is that you can still make your team better. You don't have to be done building your roster in April at the draft. We've seen this so many times with smart teams where – when training camp is happening, you, know, you get into August and they're looking at who they have and like, man, how can we incrementally improve this roster? And the best teams do I that. Need, I need to interrupt you because we mm-hmm. need to talk about something for the next 10 minutes. Seattle Seahawks have released Doug Baldwin. Wow. Okay, so this is a health thing, right? That's what uh, you yes. assume? So, so this is Mike Garofalo saying Baldwin is leaning towards retirement. A release allows him to keep his signing bonus and possibly future injury protection money. Uh, I need to talk about Doug Baldwin because I'm getting angry already that we're going to underappreciate Doug Baldwin. He was so good. I mean, if this is it, he was incredible to watch. He was so much fun. And again, a guy who really built his career. You know, a guy not high draft pick, somebody that wasn't valued early in his career, really had to fight for every opportunity and just turned himself into an unbelievably effective player. I mean, no, undrafted. I'm sorry. I thought he was a seventh round pick. But nope. again, just so, so fun. A huge part of those teams. I mean, just the chemistry he had with Russell Wilson that in that run where they were just clicking, it was so awesome to watch. They were a perfect pairing for each other at a certain stretch of their career when the offense really catered to it. In 2015, he led the NFL with 14 receiving touchdowns. Russell Wilson looked like the best quarterback in the NFL in the second half of that season. That's, that's what was crushing it. That's what propelled him that offseason for me to call him the best quarterback in the NFL. And I just think that every part of that Seahawks team, with the exception of the offensive line, just worked. And Baldwin is a part of that. And I think that I, I really hope that in 10 years when we're looking back on that team, we think about Doug Baldwin with, with the other parts, uh, of, especially that offense. Yeah, because the numbers weren't huge when they were winning the Super Bowl, but that offense was not catered to do that. It was a very different well, right. type of offense. He also started only half the games that season. That receiving core, I think Sidney Rice was on the team to start that year. I mean, they really had guys come out of nowhere, but that's kind of the story of those Seahawks teams, right? Well, they Doug traded for so Percy indicative. Harvin. Yeah, they traded for Percy Harvin that year. I mean, they had yeah, Doug Baldwin. Was, every time Doug Baldwin seemed like he should be getting more opportunities, the Seahawks tried to give him less. Which, again, that, the nature of being somebody that goes that late in the draft or goes undrafted. But I just think, though, that he is so indicative of why they were great and why they've been such a really strong franchise because they got more out of players. They got a lot out of players that you don't typically get a lot out of. Mid-round no. picks, Mid-round picks, guys. undrafted guys. They, were, they had a run that was unbelievable. It was Michael Lopez, um, who, who was one of the, the, the analytics guys in the league office, 
had a graph that I put in a story a couple weeks ago, and I don't know if you saw Robert. Basically, the only two people who have drafted better than average are the Seahawks and the Ted Thompson Packers. Yep, I saw that. And that matters. And there's 30 teams who didn't do that. And for, for you know, there's a lot of teams who manage their team better. I mean, I think the Patriots sort of, from a big picture perspective, handle things better and roster management. But for a while there, nobody was better at finding players than John Schneider. And I really, I, what they've done this offseason, and just again, the if you're going to sign Russell Wilson to that contract, which we both agree you should, mm-hmm. then it's you need to find creative ways to help build the rest of your roster. Trading down, just incessantly getting all of that draft capital for Frank Clark. And what they've, and the Ziggy Anta signing, I really like. I think that was just a smart way to take a flyer on a guy who has a really high ceiling. They're a very smartly run team. And I think that they've done a good job kind of in this second wave after that team has fallen apart a little bit to figure out what their next phase is. And with Baldwin leaving, this really is the next phase. I mean, we're out of Seahawks from those Super Bowl teams. This That was it. Doug Baldwin was really the last guy outside of Russell Wilson that was on that roster. And we were in a completely new era now. Well, can we segue from the Seattle Seahawks and what they're doing to my first fake transaction? We absolutely can. One more thing. Doug Baldwin was, in my opinion, the second best route runner in the NFL after Antonio Brown for Ooh. several years. I just wanted to put that out there. Okay. Can we, get, can we get in Dominican Seal in the Seahawks? That works for me. Uh, you think even with the Ziggy Anza thing, yeah. you still want to in the well, Seahawks? Well, they're very close. Those, I mean, they those played two, together. And, yeah. Those two guys are close, as, as evidenced by the time that I went to Sue's house and Anza was playing FIFA on the couch. <laughs> and we didn't speak. That We were like 10 feet away from each other. We never spoke the whole time. He didn't yeah, really they, they he didn't acknowledge that's that like I was their, there. That's probably their shared interest. He didn't acknowledge I was there. Um so I, I, I think that, it, first of all, we're not looking at big money for Sue. There's a reason. So just so anybody knows, if, if they missed it, the second wave of free agency has begun because now these guys don't count toward the comp pick formula, okay? Yeah. And there's a reason that these guys are available. So you're not looking at big money for Sue. You're certainly not looking at big money for Ansa. A couple of the, a couple of these other guys that we're going to get to. And so I think on a flyer, I'm totally fine with Stuart the Seahawks. He's from Portland. He has a lot of business interests in the area. Um, I don't think the Rams either, they don't want him back or they don't have the money for it. They don't have any cap space. So uh, I saw Albert Breer floated the idea that, that he could return to Los Angeles. I, I think that maybe some, a new, a change of pace maybe fits him better. Yeah, I predicted that he would be in Seattle with the starter free agency. I thought that fit just made a lot of sense. So wouldn't surprise me at all. I can understand why they would want to do it. Um, they probably have a little bit more money freed up now with Baldwin gone, so makes sense to me. How realistic are all of yours? Because mine are like semi-realistic. Because I, I mine are pretty. Dream mine, mine might happen. Well, I'm okay. not going to put like Patrick Mahomes on the Jaguars. Oh no, no, that's not. It's not that kind of dream move. Here's here's my ex- my first example. I will lead with this one. Okay. It, it's not that realistic, but I think that it'd be awesome and actually makes some sense when you think about need, team trajectory, and overall just. Yeah, where these guys are going. What if the Saints traded for A.J. Green? So let's back up because the Saints have spent the past 10 years operating as if this is the last season. That's exactly right. This would be the type of move that lends itself to that. A.J. Green has been sort of 
in the it, there hasn't been a full fledged AJ Green is in the block rumor, but anytime you sort of hear the oh who could be next, especially after the Odell Beckham trade uh, and Antonio Brown trade, it was who could be next. You sort of hear AJ Green's name floating around there. Um, I think that would be amazing. Last year of AJ Green's contract. I'd say probably more likely than not, the last year of Andy Dalton's tenure as the starter in Cincinnati. If you're going to do a full-scale rebuild, wouldn't the picks for A.J. Green be a significant part of that? You could also argue that if you're going to draft a quarterback, you'd want to put that guy in an offense with A.J. Green. But do they want to give 31-year-old A.J. Green a huge contract after the season ends? I don't think it's that nuts. The Saints currently have $8.8 million in cap space. A.J. Green has a base salary of about $11 million. That's child's play for the Saints. They find $3 million in cap space in the couch every single day. So don't worry about that. The money is not a problem whatsoever. It's all about motivation and do you want to give up what you need to give up to put him in your offense? Because they have a need at outside receiver. I mean, that is a spot where they were trying to find, they were trying to find receivers in free agency. It didn't end up working out. If you put him on the outside with Michael Thomas on the inside, ooh boy, ooh boy, is that fun. So that's my first one. I would really like to see that happen. Okay, here's mine. Well, Sean McCoy to the Chiefs. That's really fun too. I like that a lot. I don't know. So, so it's. I guess they're going to trade him or they might trade him. That's been the rumor. He, spo- he, he, he spoiled Endgame for everybody. Just, that's a fireable offense. So in he's got off, off, off the field concerns because he spoils movies. I wrote a story a couple years ago about how players were fighting in the locker room over Game of Thrones spoilers. So I remember. That you don't want to cross it's that bridge. It's a touchy bridge. thing, man. It is a touchy thing. So I just think that would be incredibly fun. It would fill a need. Uh, I don't think LaShawn McCoy is the best running back in the NFL in 2019. I was going to ask you how much you thought yeah, he had left I, in the I tank. don't think he has a whole lot left, but I think he can still be elusive and explosive, especially in that offense where there's going to be a lot of space to operate. He's worked under Andy Reid before. Um, I am pro more dynamic players in the Kansas City offense. I'm worried about how dynamic he still is. I think that he would see a lot more from him in the Chiefs offense than we did in the Bills offense, obviously. I think that the Bills have added players at that position, so it would not be out of the question. But the Chiefs have also added players at that position. Mm -hmm. They went out and got Carlos Hyde. I wonder if they still feel like they could bring in more guys there or they would need to. That would be one of my questions, but I'm in favor of it. All right, who's your next guy? Chris Harris to the Colts. Yeah, or to the 49ers. I think I, my, I, had, I had him to the Colts because we both we talked about Chris Harris yesterday. He was on my list. He was on your list. I think I think that he'd be a great fit for the Colts. I don't know. I, what, the, I don't know what the 49ers are doing. I don't know what the 49ers are doing. About, either. I'm officially worried. I went from being totally sold on the 49ers in 2019, 2020, 2021 to I'm I, I like to see a better plan. Yeah, John I, Lynch I, and Kyle Shanahan uh, are both way smarter than I am, so I'll I'll defer to them. But I will say. If we're drawing up plans right now, the Colts looks a lot better than the 49ers. I, I've gotten a little bit more concerned as well. My attitude has shifted. So I, I think that the 49ers, as kind of, I think John Lynch said on the radio the other day, like, we need to win now. And this is the type of move that is indicative of that. They still have $35 million in cap space. You know, The Colts still have an ocean of cap space because they didn't spend any of it. This yeah. is the reason you have it. I, I think the Colts are so patient right now. This wouldn't necessarily fit their M.O., They're really moving at their own pace, which I respect. (laughs) I'm really impressed by the fact that they haven't felt compelled to do anything panicky. And this, I don't think this would be panicky, but I think it doesn't necessarily fit the moves they've made in the past. But I think both of those teams could 
drastically use a guy like Chris Harris again in the last year of his contract has said that he doesn't he's frustrated with the lack of movement on a new deal so uh, he's somebody that it makes sense for him to be on the move and those are the two teams I think they could use him most so if you're the Broncos what are you doing in 2019 anyway they're just so adrift you might as well get some picks See, I don't think they feel like they're... No, 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 of course they don't. They also feel like Joe Flacco's a starting quarterback. Let's say, that matters. How you feel about your own team matters when it comes to moves like this. But yeah, the Colts do need a guy. I mean, like, they re-signed Pierre Desir. They have Quincy Wilson, but they could absolutely use another corner. I don't know what they think about Kenny Moore long-term, but that's not the type of guy that should block you from going to get Chris Harris. The team that could actually use Chris Harris the most, but would never, ever get him, is the Chiefs. They would they would never yeah. trade him within the division. But, the I, I, but I was also like th- I was also just thinking. I mean, just cap wise. I mean, they 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 do have uh, a resources limit at some point. If you're going to sign Chris Harris to the extension he wants, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, yeah, they, they make less sense to me than the 49ers or the Colts. But just from a personnel standpoint and a team needs standpoint, I think they could probably use him more. They're hurting for talent in the secondary more than even the Colts or the Niners are. Well, arguably the Niners. Yeah, uh, I want Eric Berry to get a job. I have him on my list as well. Where do you put him? Oh, so I'm I'm putting him in Cleveland. Oh man, that makes sense. The, the John Dorsey connection. I understand that. Sure. I put him in Dallas. Oh, okay, but Cleveland is a good one. I mean, I'm not even sure he has a ton left in the tank. I I mean, the fact Again, that he's still yeah. available is slightly worrying. I just like him as a player, and I want him to be happy. This is my this is my uh, standard for these things. Where's Eric Berry from? Is he from Tennessee? He's from Georgia. Oh, that's right. I mean, do you that's want right. do you want to put him on the Falcons? No, I was just wondering if he was another one of those guys that loved the Cowboys as a kid. I mean, <laughs> there, I'm there all, everybody our age loved the Cowboys as a kid. That's true. That's true. I, have Cleveland I told you sense. the story? Have I told you the story about the time that I went up to Morgan Burnett and we talked about Atlanta high school football? No. Okay, so I went up to Morgan Burnett in the locker room with the Packers, and sometimes when there's like 10 minutes left and in a locker room, whatever, I'll just go up to a guy and be like, tell me a funny story. So Burnett was Cam Newton's middle school quarterback, okay? Cam Newton was the running back. And I was like, so what happened? He said, well, we had to go to different high schools so that we could both play quarterback. And I said, well, who... So you guys were like the top high school quarterbacks? And he was like, no, 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 no. I wasn't number two. Eric Berry was number two. Eric Berry was an incredible high school player. But it's like, could you imagine being in Atlanta? Unfortunately, they never played each other. But could you imagine being in Atlanta and have watching either Cam Newton or Eric Berry every other week? Like, it's Pretty just awesome. like, that's, and that's what's cool about, I'm from Florida, and you had that a little bit in Florida, where it's just like, you can go to a random high school game and see three future NFL players. But I mean, I definitely, Eric Berry and Cam Newton in Atlanta at the high school at the same time is a, uh, is a moment. All right, let's stay with... Chief-centric moves or Chiefs or moves somewhat related to the Chiefs. Is this episode would, just building the Chiefs? No, I mean, like, I'm kidding. these are the teams motivated to make moves. No, no, I know. You know what I'm saying? The Saints and the so, Chiefs. So uh, why wouldn't the Chiefs just trade for Trey Waynes? They need a corner. The Vikings clearly aren't that in love with him and probably could move him without even like thinking about it again, without a second thought. Just based on the fact that he's in the last year of his deal, yeah, you know he's had some issues there. But again, that's just the type of guy. Former first round pick. The Chiefs have a needed corner. Uh, that's the type. Chris Harris may not be realistic, but the, Trey Trey Wayne seems like he could be. Uh, I agree. I mean, I think that there's. It, it's really interesting to me. This is not. This is not for for that sort of level of trade. 
But I do want to talk about who could become available on the cornerback market because you start to think, let's talk about Dallas for a second. So Stephen Jones says they're off and running on a contract talks with Dak and Amari, okay? But then he talks about Byron Jones, Leo Collins, and Jalen Smith. At some point, one or two of those guys becomes too expensive. It's not going to be Dak Prescott. It's not going to be Mario Cooper just because of the order of contract they are. So is someone like Byron Jones available for a really good package? I think the Lyle Collins is the guy. I agree. To be I agree. I just wanted to throw that out there. I think Lyle Collins is too. What about, I mean, I don't, I don't know even how you approach the Jalen Smith thing. In what sense? I mean, I, I just, I don't, I, I don't know. I think he's a good player. I don't know what you look at as far as a four-year deal for someone like Jalen Smith. Just with the injury history. Okay, yeah. I think it's a fluke injury. I don't know if there's an injury history. No, I know. And what he's been able to do has been incredible. The fact that he's all the way back, I think that he may take that into account, but if they feel comfortable that that injury is in the past as much as it's going to be, that he's really kind of strengthened that knee back up, I can understand him getting a pretty huge deal. I think Collins is somebody that could be on the move solely because they've drafted other guys at that spot. They drafted another offensive lineman this year. And I think that there is a market for a guy like Lyle Collins. He's one of my trades. I think that a team like the Chargers would be very smart to consider somebody like that. They still need help on the offensive line. They drafted a guy late in the draft, but I mean, that's not somebody you can just pencil in as a starter or right tackle. They could use help at guard. They could use physicality at guard. You know, Lyle Collins is not a perfect player, but I think he could help some teams. And typically I would say the Texans, but the Texans added so much draft capital at those spots and they gave Matt Khalil that one-year deal that I still probably don't understand. So I think a team like the Chargers could use him a little bit more than Houston right now. So that's that was one on, on my list. I think Byron Jones is amazing. I think he's an amazing player. You, Byron Jones is just one of those guys you, you love like so much my, before the like draft. A top it's, ten favorite player in the NFL just because I, how high he can jump. He, he's a good. He's like a, a good cornerback. He's exactly he's really what I good. talk about with athleticism. Athleticism doesn't guarantee anything, but it guarantees there's something to mold into a good player. Dallas was really good at developing Byron Jones, and now it has to pay off. Now it's going to pay off. It is paying off. It's a perfect situation for him in that defense. He, he and I talked about it during the playoffs this year. He just when Chris Richard came in there and taught him how to play that version of press man coverage, it's exactly who he is as a player. It, there couldn't be a more ideal fit, and I think that that's really unlocked him. So I think throwing that away is a little bit silly. I, I think Collins would no, make I, more I, sense I, to me. I I didn't. I don't think they're going to trade him at all. Um, I just think that the one of those guys becomes expendable when everybody's getting big contracts. So Lyle Collins of the Chargers was one of mine. Uh, another one on my list is, if we're just shipping off Vikings players here, oh, Kyle Rudolph to the Jaguars. Yeah, I, the Kyle Rudolph was on my list. Well, where'd you have him going, though? I mean, I, there, there's a lot of places that could use Kyle Rudolph. I mean, the Jaguars are interesting. I don't know. Let me ask you a question about the Jaguars. How good do you think the Jaguars think they're going to be in 2019? I, that's a wonderful question. I think they believe they're like a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that one. That you, they don't believe that or that they are? No, no, that they are. I mean, they assign Nick Foles to that much money. You think Nick Foles can get you to the Super Bowl. That's that's what that contract says. Correct. That's what the weird thing of we have to give, we're bidding against no one, but we're going to give Nick Foles that much money so he commands respect in the locker room. That means you think Nick Foles is the elite of the elite. I don't think he is. I think Nick Foles, with one of the best offensive infrastructures in the last five years, going into the playoffs is elite, but that's very, very circumstantial. I don't think he is in the Jaguars. 
I don't think he is either. And in order to kind of get him to be the player you want him to be, helping build up that infrastructure is a good idea. And I think that's what trading for a guy like Kyle Rudolph would do. They don't have that many. I mean, their pass catching group is not that impressive. I mean, you're looking at a wide receiver core that's D.D. Westbrook, D.J. Chark, who was a second-round pick last year, by the way, Marquise Lee, Chris Conley, and Keelan Cole. Mm -hmm. That's what we got. The the tight end option right now is Jeff Swaim. They drafted Josh Oliver in the third round. So it feels like they could absolutely use an upgrade there. And there's also a DeFilippo connection. He caught 64 passes last year in Minnesota for John DeFilippo as the offensive coordinator. So he understands him as a player. I, I just think that... He fits with what Nick Foles does well. I mean, middle of the field throws. Nick Foles was so good with Zach Ertz. I know Zach Ertz is a better receiver, but I just think that's a way to help build your offense in the way that would be conducive to helping your quarterback. So those are the moves you should make. I want to throw out a Kyle Rudolph possibility for you. The New England Patriots. Oh, man. They signed ben, they signed Ben Watson today. That doesn't matter. Yeah. That does not matter. Yeah, because they want like four tight ends, so. Also, Ben Watson's just a good guy in the locker room, but he's not He's not going to get 1,000 yards for you. He's not Gronk. He's not the Gronk replacement. No one is. No one is. Except maybe Chase Vinovich, apparently. <laughs> but that's 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 a different category. It's a whole other conversation. Uh, Kyle Rudolph is sitting, making $7 million this year. I'm just saying. So I what think does the, it take with your Minnesota? What do you give up Kyle Rudolph for? That's part of this conversation though, because Kyle Rudolph is such a staple of that organization. Yep. And that community been there I know since that seems like a silly thing. Been there since but, 2011, best season, 840 yards and seven touchdowns. He had, but he's uh, been he's, so consistent. I mean, he's just been such a consistent part of that offense. And that's the type of organization that I don't think is just going to ship a guy off without thinking about the ramifications. Also, the also, they're good. The Vikings yes. are good. Like yes. it's not like they're going to help the Patriots out of the kindness of their heart. The Vikings, the, the Vikings are a team that probably should hope they can win the Super Bowl because they've got a lot of talent still. We forget they're because we saw out, their man. we saw their disastrous season last year. The Vikings are really good. The Vikings are maxed out. If they're if they don't think they're a Super Bowl contender, then they kind of screwed up this long term plan here. I absolutely feel like they believe that. So yeah, they don't have that much motivation to kind of ship off guys for pieces as they try to rebuild. And I also think that they're probably not that motivated to trade for him. I just think these are calls these teams should make, not necessarily moves that seem that likely. I agree. What was your next one? Do you have another one? Oh no, that was it. We we covered all of them. Whether whether we either of, of mine, we either overlapped or I threw them in the conversation. I did my five. Another one I had, I had, I had more than five. So that's I just oh throw out God. these ideas. Were you setting me up to just brag that you came no, up with no, more no. than I the allotted trades? Than the allotted five. I love fake trades. I, I absolutely love them. It so must drive you one, crazy to be in in a league where they don't really trade. I know it's such a bummer. You but need the last to be five years. Have my, been much may better. I recommend, for instance, baseball or European soccer, where everyone's constantly on the move. Listen, the NFL has definitely started to align with my tastes a little bit more in recent years, and it's been one of my favorite things. We're getting player-for-player trades. We're getting trades late in the offseason. We're getting shocking trades of superstars. I mean, it's been a pretty good couple Remember, of years. Remember, like, the decade where all of the all of the player-for-player trades were just terrible? They were all Jonathan Baldwin for A.J. Jenkins. Oh, it's... So I was watching, uh, I was watching old 30 Rack reruns, as I want to do. Sure. And the live episode of uh, 30 Rock that they did, the West Coast one, in order to make sure people knew it was live, they were reading off NFL draft results, and the one they read off was A.J. Jenkins going to the 49ers. 
Just like, what a moment. What an all-time great moment in National Football League history. Just such an important Before thing. the Super Bowl, um, when I was with the Wall Street Journal, AJ Jenkins was talking to me, and then a TV camera walked up, and he just in mid-sentence left, and then did, did the TV interview, and he was like, sorry, man, I gotta go to the cameras. His storied NFL careers. He just he not he had he just did not he just wanted to be on TV instead of giving me thirty more seconds. It was quite a moment. I've never had that before. Yeah, that one was terrible. But there, I mean, we can always look back with great affection for the Clinton Portis for Champ Bailey trade, which is still the greatest player for player NFL trade I think ever. It was so good, so Incredible so good, trade. Incredible. Both trade. both guys, I mean, just fit incredibly well in their new teams. I mean, that's still the gold standard. So, I the last one I had here on my list was Jerry Hughes going to the Ravens, which is not as exciting, but he's another guy. Last year of his deal, the Ravens need edge rushing help. The the, the Bills, sorry, let me do that again. The Bills are another one of those teams. I'm really curious how good the Bills think they are. Their off season has been impressive I, I in think, my mind. I think they think they're getting there. Now, they're That's not going to be good in right. 2019. Let's call that an educated answer. That's probably right. I think that, yeah, they, they probably feel like they are getting there. I think that they've done a lot of really good things. I liked the moves they made this offseason. They dabbled in free agency in the way that you want to dabble in free agency. I mean, not, contracts that are not going to cripple you long term, guys that have a chance to play up to the money, deals that could actually, you could actually create some value from them. With, mm-hmm. Those are very rare. So I'm I'm enjoying their direction. I wish their quarterback was better, but it just seems like Jerry Hughes might be a guy that doesn't fit into their long-term plans. I think the Ravens probably feel like they're in win-now mode after making the playoffs. So that one makes sense to me. I like that. I like that. I mean, that wouldn't that wouldn't I don't think shake up the the AFC by any means. But I think that there's, no, it's a smaller one. It's a it's smaller not AJ one. Green to the Saints, but of the kind of I mean, in order to do this, you look at the remaining holes that teams have. Is there a glaring team need that you're still really worried about that you feel like for a contender is something that could sink them? I don't know, man. Who's catching balls for the Patriots? That is fine with me. I mean, I guess it's Nikhil Harry, but if if you don't feel good about that one, I don't blame you. No, I mean, I I think he's good, but I just I just feel like they're, they're I, I don't know. Without Josh Gordon, they wouldn't have made they wouldn't have been the team they they were last year. Um, they I I, I don't know. I mean, I just. They still have Philip Dorsett starting. I'm just looking at the depth chart right now. They still have Philip Dorsett starting. That's a big red flag. That's one for me. I think that, the, as we talked about many times on this show today, the Chiefs secondary still worries me. Yeah. I think even going out and getting some pass rushers, we've seen how much importance you have to put on the coverage, even with a pass rush these days. And even with Tyron Matthew, who I love, mm-hmm. it just seems like they don't have enough talent in the secondary to feel good about where they are. Yeah, I think that's that's probably true. Um, trying to think of the of, of the rest of the contenders. I mean, it just depends. What about what about your Chicago Bears? Are they all set? I think depth up front. Yeah. I mean, they're a team that if they wanted to trade for a guy like Jerry Hughes, I wouldn't be upset. If they wanted to sign Derek Morgan, who is still a free agent right now, I wouldn't be upset. They need some de- depth both in the interior of the offensive line and on the edge. They also could probably use a safety. I mean, Trey Boston's out there. I mean, there are still players that can make you a lot better right now. And I think that that's why the second wave of free agency is always so important. One-year deals, that shit comes back to really help you at, in the latter parts of the season especially. When guys get hurt and you just need that guy off the bench that's competent, it's a huge thing. Can we, so, give, can we give the Packers one more pass catcher? Yeah, who would that be, though? I, I think that's know. the question. 
I saw I saw a thing the other day that like maybe maybe Michael Crabtree would fit there, but I, I'm sort of done with Michael Crabtree. I've moved. I'm on. also done with Aaron Rodgers throwing to guys who absolutely cannot get separation. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers having to put the ball on the money every single time because these guys can't separate is an ongoing problem. I think they're going to run a lot of two tight end sets with Sternberger and Jimmy Graham. I think we're going to see a lot of that. They're going to be creative because I mean, in that offense, you're going to see a lot of bigger personnel packages. So you know, on the field, it'd be Adams, a couple of those young receivers. I think that they probably think they're in good shape there. I'm trying to think of some other ones here. Oh, the Browns offensive line. Oh, yeah. I still have questions about the Browns offensive line. I think that that's an area that, again, could come back and bite them. They're so good in so many places. And, you know, you have penciled starters. You have starters penciled in pretty much all of those spots. But after losing Zeitler, you know, you're relying on Austin Corbett, who's a second-round pick. It just seems like there are still question marks for them there. There's not that many offensive linemen on the trade market, though. There's a shortage of them, period. So it's not like a lot of teams have extra starters just sitting around. Eagles. What can we do with the Eagles? Let's fix the Eagles for a second. I don't know, man. I think the Eagles are pretty good. <laughs> I know. I love the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles going and signing Zach Brown for pennies is like the exact deal the Eagles make every single year. The Eagles offseason is freaking ridiculous. They traded for Deshaun Jackson. They just have Deshaun Jackson now, which that's pretty fun. They draft a Jason Peters replacement who if Jason Peters gets hurt, which seems just reasonable because he's old and injury prone. They have a first round left tackle to just pop in there now. Sidney Jones is healthy. Uh, it's yeah, their corner situation. I think you know last year obviously was just decimated by injury, but I also think that those players did not develop in the way they necessarily wanted. You know, Rasul Douglas, Sidney Jones. They bring back Ronald yeah. Darby, who's had some issues at times. Jalen Mills is the same way. Vontae so, Maddox is back there. Yeah, I mean, they have more depth. I think signing Andrew Sandejo is a really smart choice. Again, mm. just part of an excellent offseason by them to bring him in in case you have an injury there like they did with McLeod last year. So, I don't know. I think this roster is pretty damn good because it's been pretty damn good for the last couple of years. They do an excellent job of the re- Malik Jackson. It. The Malik Jackson thing rules. The Malik Jackson thing is absurd. I mean, it's just... Every year, it just seems like there's two more guys in the Eagles that shouldn't be there. It is so impressive what they're able to do every season. Are the Eagles going to the Super Bowl again? Oh, I oh, think man. they might. They're going to be really good. I think they might, dude. They're going to be so good. I mean, it's just a matter of injuries. I mean, same thing that happened last year. They were so hurt on defense that it became a problem. I mean, it's, it's crazy to say, but I think the most important question about the Eagles ceiling in 2019 is Carson Wentz. I was going to say that. I was wait, I was going to wait for this whole discussion to end and then drop the bomb that they have a whole quarterback. It's and, so then, and, and then end the show. About, and then end the show and get everybody mad at me. Oh, man. It, it's how quickly things change. No, yes. I, in, in, all, in all seriousness, I think Carson Wentz is still very, very good. I think Carson Wentz is still a good quarterback, but I think that there are more questions and more uncertain. And there, there's, there are more questions and there is more uncertainty at that spot than there has been in quite some time. Goff taking the belt from Carson Wentz is a top five unexpected moment of the last five years for me. I mean, I'm, are we sure we, you want to be so quick to do that? No, I'm, they're going to wrestle over for the next, I don't know, three years. But I'm just saying right Which now. Which belt is that? Just the 2016 draft belt? Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's a belt. Yeah, that's a belt. We can give that belt. Have you ever looked in the box and there's like a hundred belts? <laughs> this is the WBO regular title. Okay. I'm fine with that. And so, yeah, that. there's a belt. And right now, Jared Goff has it because Carson Wentz has been to zero Super Bowls and Jared Goff just went to one where he scored three points. Did he score three points? Yeah. 13 and three, right? 
Yeah, they did score. They, they were, there were points on the board. Good for him. Anyway, I'm, th- I'm looking at, at this the right moment, now. I believe that when their careers are over, Carson Wentz will have the belt. That's, I, I agree with you. I, I, that's where we are together on I'm that. just saying right now, I think Jared Goff has the belt. I'm looking at it right now. I think the Eagles had a perfect offseason. Like, I think legitimately it was perfect. Um, what else would you have wanted? With the resources they had, how could they be better than well, they, they are right now? Well, they got 500 comp picks. <laughs> yes. Because Howie helps. is a comp pick god. It's yeah, kind of funny to me. In free agency. It's kind of funny. To, well, like I'm Mike Jackson, but it's kind of funny to me. Oh, they, well, no, but he was cut. He was cut. Right. So it, they, it doesn't matter. He right. doesn't play into it. It's right. the same thing for trading for Deshaun Jackson, waiting until two days ago to sign Zach Brown. It's nuts. It, it doesn't affect anything. They're like 10 steps ahead of all but three teams. The natural conclusion of everything, every trend in the NFL is that the smart teams figure it out and then the bad teams follow suit and do it worse. And you look at the comp pick stuff, and it's the Patriots, the Eagles, and the Ravens who have just cornered the market on comp picks. And now, for the next like three years, every team's going to try to do it, and it's going to be a much worse version. And at some point, the Patriots will just stop trying to collect comp picks and go the other way and just sign a bunch of guys for pennies on the dollar and win that way. Yeah, everybody's trying to catch up. And now that you can trade them, they're so much more valuable, which has made teams even more ravenous to get more of them. So. Yeah, the Eagles continue to crush it. I mean, looking at this roster is just like, goddamn. Howie Roseman, value God. All right. I think that's all we got, buddy. Uh, As always, guys, thanks so much for listening to the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. We will uh, will let you know when we'll be back. Maybe next week. It it may not be. We will be coming to you intermittently throughout the offseason. So don't worry. We're not going away for any extended period of time. But uh, thank you guys for listening. And we'll talk soon. Here's good news. The number of collisions involving a train at a railway crossing is down 83% from its peak in the 1970s. Here's bad news. There's still more than 2,000 incidents a year. Stop. Trains can't.